Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 36 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Gillia. With me, as always, Jordan Renan, James Cratch. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. Coming off of what was a thrilling game, but obviously the story of the game with the Giants and the Panthers wasn't so much what happened on the field as the Giants go down 38-35 to the still undefeated Panthers, now 6-8 and for the Giants. It's everything else around Odell Beckham Jr., Jordan, we'll start with you. Uh, we're recording this podcast. What's up, Joe? I'm doing well, bud, and, and a lot to talk about here. We're recording this podcast, just to let everyone know, on a Tuesday morning. So uh, Odell Beckham, as of right now, has been suspended one game by the NFL. And, you know, over the course of the week, there'll be an appeal, and we'll see if he could play on Sunday uh, in Minnesota. But as of right now, uh, we watched the fallout on Sunday. We watched everything since. Jordan, just kind of take me through what you were thinking as it was happening. So many layers to this thing, but, I mean, it really took over the game. I mean, I was watching on TV, and, and Buck and Aikman, basically, you know, they were talking more about that than what was until the fourth quarter a blowout, but then a really compelling fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, look, I went into the game, and I was thinking, okay, they're going to probably move Odell back into the slot a bunch because Norman won't follow him there. That'll be a good matchup for the Giants. So my job was to chart where Odell Beckham was lining up and how many times he went against more, uh, Norman and sort of how that, you know, matchup was unfolding. So, you know, you could see from the very beginning that there was something going on here. I mean, every play, there seemed to be something. They were butting heads. Even on the, the, third, uh, the third play of the game, this is not Norman, but you could tell this was the Panthers' game plan. They wanted to get in his head. That was their goal, and you know what? They were successful. They took him out of the game. He didn't catch a single pass in the first half and dropped a a long touchdown. Third play of the game, pass interference down the middle of the field, and right after Odell Beckham gets up, Kirk Coleman, the the Panthers' safety, comes over and gives him a little bump. And you could tell, you know, they were talking to him a lot. First two plays, third play, they bump him. Fourth play, drop touchdown. So obviously, you know, might have already had an effect. Fifth play, that's when they start scrapping. And then I'm watching them every play after that, and you couldn't take your eyes off it. Every play, that's what you're, you're transfixed to. Because we're up top, you know, we have a, a sort of a bird's eye view from the, the press box. And, you know, I, I did a, a lengthy play-by-play of what I saw in the coaches' tape between the two of them, and you could tell it was like almost every play that they were lined up against each other. Even on running plays, they were just – trying to decapitate each other, both of them. You know, granted, some of it is part of football, and it's legal, and, you know, you're you're blocking hard, and you're trying to get good blocks because you're mad at the other guy. That's fine. You know, that happens all the time in the NFL. But when you then, when you get to the point where you're going and you're throwing punches and you're swiping at guys' heads uh, and, and their hands are in each other's face constantly, and then the really overboard is when you go and you use your body as a missile and try and... Uh, use it as a weapon to really just smash uh, Norman from the side or uh, when he went back and cracks back in the third quarter from 15, 15 yards back. So it got ugly, and, but it was something you just couldn't take your eyes off of. You couldn't. And I was sitting back. And so I, I watched the game, but then I watched it again later on. So I was really listening just to see how Troy Aikman and Joe Buck on Fox handled it. And James, I'm wondering from your perspective, when, at what point in the game, you started to realize, you know, this thing is getting out of hand. You know, Aikman, at around 324 in the first quarter, three minutes or around there, mm-hmm. said someone has to get a hold of Beckham. And then early in the second quarter, when he, when there was an unnecessary roughness, I think it was Joe Buck that said, at some point, 
this gets ridiculous. At what point was it for you, James, sitting up there in the press box when you started saying, this is getting out of hand here? I think it was about that time, you know, toward the end of the first quarter, start of the second. Um, and I think when, when they came out from halftime and it kept going, was an, uh, when I really was at the point where, you know, someone needs to be ejected or sat down. Um, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I've never really seen anything like it. You know, you have guys who go back and forth, but usually the, the, it reaches a point where someone gets a penalty or something, and it kind of – the guys realize they have to knock it off or else it's going to, you know, hurt their team. You know, the game is just going to com- become completely chaotic. And uh, you kept waiting for that point to come on Sunday, and I guess to an extent it came in the fourth quarter when everything kind of knocked off, but they – basically just had a brawl on national television for three quarters it was yeah that's the thing is it lasted three quarters that's the astonishing part you know you're right on james it 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 was just you kept on waiting for someone to say okay like either for someone to get kicked out or someone to get benched or for them to say enough is enough and it it, it, you know maybe the the fact the game was a blowout kind of contributed to that to some extent but I mean, they just kept going at each other nonstop. And when you thought it was over, it started up again. This idea that they had to bench Beckham or bench Norman and then, you know, you got to sit him out for a series and or, you know, bench him from the game completely. I mean, it, to me, it's just it doesn't there's something that's not right there. You could take the guy out of a game for a couple plays just to settle him down. I mean, yeah. that's a possibility. That's not that's not illegal. No, it isn't. I agree with that, Jordan. I think that, and let's talk about that. You know, who's at fault here? Beckham obviously is at major fault, but then there are other people involved on that field that maybe could have settled this down. And Jordan, you brought up take him out of the game a little bit. So let's go to Tom Coughlin there. And I mean, I'm I'm on board with that. That even for even for a few plays, just take him out, let him cool his head. Maybe that makes a difference. Were you surprised that Coughlin allowed this whole thing to go down the way it did and, and didn't take him off the field at all? Very surprised. I mean, I thought it was a huge mistake. I thought he did Odell Beckham a disservice, actually. Uh, because, look, the team isn't filled with veteran leaders all over the place, especially on the offense. And, and oh, we obviously saw Eli Manning there. He, that, he's he got to be one of the guys, too. I mean, he's a 12-year veteran. He's a star quarterback. He needs to go and make sure that oh, he's got his best receiver on the same page as him and not going out there and batting the other guy. But Tom Coughlin had missed an opportunity. He says, he, you know, a couple of reasons he wasn't following Beckham the whole time during the game. Uh, he didn't, didn't even know that all three penalties were against him. But you know what? Those are just excuses. This is baloney. Everybody knew what was going on. If you, if you didn't know what was going on, then that's an even bigger indictment on Tom Coughlin. I mean, come on. Everybody saw that these guys were going at it. He, there was chippiness and actually dirty plays. I mean, dirty plays happening on the field in front of his eyes. And you got to sit the kid down for at least a couple of plays. Or he didn't even go up to him and say something. And you know what? Tom Coughlin said after the game, he said it after the game. He said it again the next day. He didn't take him out because he was trying to win the game. And that's the bottom line. And it really is almost compromising, a compromisation of values which is scary. Yeah, it is scary. And, you know, think back to what Tom Coughlin said when he was first hired about pride and professionalism and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, for one game, albeit a big one, but for one game, it seemed like he let all that go out the window. James, did it surprise you how Coughlin handled all this, you know, from Sunday and then really all the way through this week, um, the way he talked about what he did on Sunday? 
Yeah, it did surprise. I mean, one of the things that's kind of stuck out to me was if you go look at the stats at halftime, Beckham only had two targets in the first half. You know, and one of them was that drop touchdown pass, which happened, you know, relatively early in this whole thing. So my thing is, look, I don't think Beckham was really helping you win the game in the first half. Either Eli wasn't throwing the ball to him because he couldn't get open because he was too busy fighting Josh Norman, or Eli wasn't throwing the ball to him because he didn't want to risk the fact that, you know, he, he thought maybe Beckham was out of control at that point. So, you know, it's not like he was making this major impact on the game. It's not like he was fighting Norman then making a big play. Um, so there was a period. He was I catchless. Think, he was catchless. He was catchless. <laughs> he had two targets. So my point is, you could have. He wasn't really doing anything in the first half. You know what? Yeah, you know, I understand what Tom's saying. Yeah, he was out of. I didn't want to take him out of the game at the end when I was making this twenty-eight point comeback. But they were. He was doing nothing in the first half, and for much of this early in the second half, that was the point where you calm him down. Odell Beckham does not play 100% of the snaps in every game. I mean, he's that too, he's, yeah. sat out snap, he's sat out snaps before. It's not the end of the world to miss two or three snaps. I mean, come on. This isn't, this isn't, you're not saying, okay, take him out and bench him for the entire second half. He could have easily sat out a couple snaps. It's not that big a deal. He could have, and then there was the one series where there were you know, back-to-back, basically, unnecessary roughness. I mean, that's where the whole thing went off the rails. Jordan, how about the referees here, Terry McCauley and his crew and, and the way they handled it? I mean, it's, it's not an easy situation. I'm sure they don't, don't want to you know, throw a great player out of the game because everyone would flip out over that, but do you think they handled it well? I mean, it, it felt like they let everything go down. Yeah, they made a mistake. When, when the targeting at the, in the third quarter when he came and he used his helmet to just – smash Norman from, you know, basically running him down from 10 yards away. I mean, that was bad. So that at that point, he should have been ejected. But, uh, you know, they did try and gain control early in the second quarter. And there was a point where the first play of the second quarter, Beckham picked up a per, uh, uh, the first of his three unnecessary roughness penalties. And... It really wasn't much to the play, but you could see that was their, their breaking point. Okay, we're going to flag you here. This is the point of where we're going to you know, draw the line. And you, you would think that they would get the point at that point. And even on the very next play, it, Beckham and Norman got near each other, and you see the official run from the end zone and run to just get between the two guys because he didn't want them to scrap again. So they were very aware of what was going on. They talked to the coaches. And they tried to get control of it, and for a while it did settle down there in the second quarter after that, after they did that. But then it just boiled back up again. So uh, I'm not going to say they did an awful job in retrospect when I went back and looked at it because they did try and grab control. Now, they had an opportunity. Maybe you could say they did it too late because there was opportunities in the first quarter for them to grab control of the game. And instead they went and talked to the coaches instead, and that obviously didn't work either. No, it didn't. And Beckham was just out of sorts. James, you were mentioning it with, um, you know, nothing in the first half. And I mean, there was one play I can remember. I'm trying to remember when it was in the game, but there was one play. The Giants were in Panthers territory and Eli looked to Beckham and he wasn't even turned around looking for the football. He was just engaged with Norman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eli did find another receiver for a catch and I think a first down the play, so it didn't kill them. But I mean, you know, a lot of the talk this week has been about, you know, Beckham, he, he wants to win and he wants to do good for his team and he just got out of sorts. But to me, I mean, he was hurting his team. Forget all the stuff that he did wrong and, and unsportsmanlike stuff and all that. I mean, for the first three quarters, I think he was hurting the Giants because he just wasn't engaged in the game. 
No, I agree with that. I, I just think, you know, even some of the Panthers said this in the locker room after the game, in their locker room, you know, the whole Norman Beckham thing just sort of hijacked the whole game. It was almost like the, it was it was a 10-on-10 10 10 football game, and then these two guys were on the side having a, a brawl, basically. Um, you know what that I, is, James? You know what that is? That's exactly what the Carolina Panthers wanted. Exactly. It no, is. I agree. No, they did. They did a, I mean, if that was the plan, if they, and that probably was their plan, they did a great job because they took the Giants' best weapon straight out of the game. You know, and the crazy thing is, if Beckham catches that touchdown pass, he would have had, I forget how deep that, I mean, he would have had over 100 yards receiving on, you know, Norman. The thing is, Beckham was one drop away from emphatically winning this so-called battle. And, you know, he dropped that ball and then Norman just got him rattled from there, it seemed. They also had a deep ball. I mean, he beat Norman pretty badly again, and it was early in the second half. Uh, but Eli had pressure in his face and just couldn't get the ball out there enough, and it ended up being underthrown or thrown out wide a little bit as well. But uh, I mean, he could. Josh Norman wasn't. Nobody's able to guard Odell Beckham. I think no. that's we're, we're able to see. Uh, and you know, the only thing that can beat him is him beating himself. And in a way, that happened. He let them get in his head. Yeah. Exactly what the Panthers wanted. And just to go back, Joe, what you said about the referees, you know, that all the stuff that came out yesterday with the – and I'm sure we'll get to it with the, with the pregame and the, and the baseball bat and everything. I don't understand why – you know, we've seen games in the past where guys have gotten ejected for antics in pregame warm-ups. So I don't understand why the referees didn't take that situation, which they had to be aware of, and use that basically to set – you know, lay – Read both teams the riot act before the game even starts, so that way you can start throwing flags on the, the fifth, sixth play of the game if you have to. You could, and and that would have maybe changed things a little bit here. And and James, you mentioned there the antics before the game. Now a lot of some videos came out um, on Monday about the pregame. Now the Panthers brought a bat out. This is apparently something they do and to symbolize laying the wood, maybe for a little intimidation uh, on the surface. It's a little odd, maybe not uh, threatening, but odd nonetheless. Uh, do you think, I mean, and you guys have watched this guy all year long in Beckham. We know there was the issue with the Bills and they kind of called him out for, he doesn't like to be, get, you know, play him physical and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, what in your mind triggered all this? Was it that pregame stuff? Was it, did he just was too amped up for the matchup and dropping that first pass? Jordan, I mean, how did it get to this point where basically the best player in the Giants was out of the game on his own volition? Sounds like a combination of everything. I mean, that's everything you just named. You put it all together, and it created this combustible situation. I mean, he heard about the matchup with Norman throughout the week. I think, you know, Tom Coughlin said it yesterday, uh, on Monday, during a conference call, that don't think for a second that him and his coaches didn't talk to Beckham about the matchup all week, like throughout the week, during the week. So basically, they were feeding into it too and making, you know, making extra special emphasis to him about how, hey, don't make it about the matchup. So that, that's even more, you know, aside from the, the hype he hears outside. I mean, fans and media, they want to see that matchup. So, that's, you know, they, they hype it up. But, I mean, that's no excuse for – you know, making it into something more than it is. I mean, it's it should to him. It should just be another, you know, a, another football game. Sure, you want to win that one-on-one matchup to show everyone you're the top receiver. But there's no reason. And even if they, I don't look. I'm. We don't know exactly what went on before the field, before the game on the field. But uh, you know, there might have been. There, there were supposedly threats and slurs. 
but you just got to brush them off. I'm sorry. This is, you know, this is the NFL. This is football. I can't imagine. I mean, I've never been in an NFL game, but I can't imagine some of the things that are said to guys on the field in the first place. I mean, I'm pretty sure that everyone who's ever played a professional football game has heard some things that you that in Norman a normal life would be way over the edge of you know uh, of what somebody's going to do to you and how they're going to hurt you physically. I mean, and you, you're not really you can't really be scared that the guy's going to baseball bat you there in the middle of the field, can you? I mean, does anyone else besides me think that that's sort of ridiculous? No, it is ridiculous. You're right. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, no, I mean. And I, this is, you know, this is sort of also going to my days covering high school. I feel like football teams, a lot of times, they have these props that it seems like a really good idea until there's some sort of misunderstanding. And everybody goes, oh, this is a really dumb idea. We really shouldn't have this baseball bat or this axe on the sideline. <laughs> yeah, um, an axe. An uh, axe but, in baseball. Maybe, they should, maybe those would be good ideas not to bring around anymore. But my whole thing about this, all right, so – you know, let's just say that this, you know, the, these things were said that people are alleging, and the guy they run around the baseball bat. You know, the Giants go back in the locker room. The game hasn't even started yet. You would think that they would be able to take this thing and say, "Look, you know, Odell, this is clearly their their objective today is to get in your head and rattle you and knock you off your game." You would think that that would they would be able to use that moment as a, okay, this just happened while we're stretching. We need to be doubly prepared for this and, and rise above it. And that clearly just did not happen for whatever reason. It didn't. And, you know, it continued to go on as we're talking about throughout the game and entered the game in the beginning. And it, it went all the way through to the end. Um, and now Beckham is going to serve or at least has been hit with a one game suspension by the NFL. Based on everything you saw, Jordan, both live and then, like you said, going back and, and watching again and then uh, putting the piece up on NJ.com about what you saw on a second view, do you think Beckham deserved the one-game suspension? I didn't need to see the second view. That one hit in my mind. I mean, uh, you, when you combine it with all the other plays, it's, it's deserving. I mean, you can't go and come on a 15-yard run and slam and, and jump, leap, launch yourself at a guy. He was clearly in the air. And he hit him helmet to helmet, ended up hitting him in the head, even if that wasn't the original intention. You never know because guys move and duck. And it's, it's really, I find it hard. Targeting, picking a target is actually pretty hard when you guys are moving this fast. But, you know, the fact that he, he did do that, that play was just egregious in my mind. And there was a, you know, all the other stuff, I mean, all the other stuff, it kind of happens. It happens throughout football games all mm-hmm. the time. But when you put it all together and there's four, five, six of those incidents in one game, it's definitely overboard. But I also will say that when I went back and looked at it, I didn't see as much as I thought we were talking about before of Odell kind of, you know, being off his game completely and not running his routes. I mean, on it was mostly on the running plays that I saw where the two of them were just going to go at it every single running play. Uh, the passing plays, he was running his routes, and he didn't really seem to be too distracted until the end of every passing play when the Panthers made sure to give him a little bump at the end. But that was their game plan, and uh, you know they, they, they fell right into it. They did, and, and the Giants unfortunately fell into it because Beckham did. I mean, do you guys think now, James, we'll start with you on this one. Do you think now a blueprint has been put out there, or was this an extreme 
circumstance. The Bills earlier in the season talked about Beckham not – he doesn't like to be played physical. The Rams last year tried to do it. He was just so much better than them. He still had a ridiculous game. The Panthers obviously had Norman, so he, he could keep him in check a little bit while doing this. Is this now – The this Patriots Beckham's, did it. Patriots did it too, right. Is this Beckham's yeah, Malcolm weakness? Butler. Is this the one weakness in his game? We'll start with James, then to Jordan. Is this – is a blueprint to play Beckham established here, or was Sunday just – Maybe just its own thing. No, I definitely think you know it's a it's a blueprint. It's probably something that teams are going to to try to do going forward because obviously I think the Panthers had the most you know maybe you know high profile success with it. But at the same time, you know as we said with those the deep ball that you like you know had pressure the drop touchdown pass. I mean they were very close to Beckham having a ridiculous stat line against Norman. So. I, I think it can work and it can be a blueprint, but at the same time, you know, no one really can stop Beckham except Beckham. You're right. Yeah, I mean, we knew that. we Go knew ahead. this. Yeah, we knew we knew yeah. this. I mean, you knew. I mean, I we I watched the Dolphins game uh, last week, and I even tweeted something out about this. You know, before this week, because like the Dolphins were playing eight yards off Odell Beckham. I, I mean, Brent Grimes had no chance. If you're not going to get physical with this guy at the line of scrimmage, you're not going to have any chance to stop him. It's that simple. Uh, now, you know, does it mean you have to get in his head and force him to commit unnecessary roughness and personal foul penalties? You know, I don't think that's going to be a regular occurrence. But the blueprint was always you have to get in his face, rattle him, give him problems at the line of scrimmage because he runs great routes and he's got unbelievable quickness, speed, leaping ability, bulk, you know, body control. So if you let him get into his routes and get off, you're in trouble. Now, you saw the Patriots did it. I know Beckham had a 100-yard game, but he also had, I think it was a, I don't know, 75-yard reception or touchdown reception or whatever against Malcolm Butler. Might even be more, again, actually, in that game. So they did a really good job of shutting him down aside from that one play. But that's the thing. He could always hit that one play. And even if you hit him at the line of scrimmage, that one play is still going to be there. So teams are going to do this. Teams are going to try and replicate it. Uh, I think they're not going to take it to such extremes as the Panthers did because not everyone – I mean, I've heard a lot about Josh Norman in general, and he's a pretty – I don't know. He's pretty well – he's pretty much out there anyway, not the smartest guy in the world from what I've been told. So, you know, not everybody's as crazy and out there and wild and uh, as Josh Norman. So the, the exact tactic is probably not going to be the case going forward. But the general idea of getting him at the line of scrimmage is certainly going to be there every week now, more than before even. Right. You would imagine this would be a little bit of a blueprint, but like you mentioned there, Norman uh, probably took this whole thing and this whole game to an extreme. Now, we opened this show by saying that the, the battle between Norman and Beckham hijacked the game, which turned out to be uh, very compelling down the stretch. The Giants once again lose 38-35. That's now... You know, six games this year, they've been tied or winning with less than two minutes to go. Uh, but this one was a really weird one, James, wasn't it? Because as much as you can make the case the Giants were being blown out until maybe the Panthers took their foot off the gas a little bit, they also had opportunities early with the DRC dropped pick six probably and the Beckham dropped touchdown on the first drive. Uh, I mean, do you walk away saying the Giants blew another opportunity or do you walk away saying they really never should have been in it at all in the fourth quarter anyway? They just got a couple good breaks there. Yeah, I definitely think this was one of the more unique. Uh, you know, I think for the most part, all the losses they've had, have, 
you know, with the exception of the Eagles game, have kind of been, you know, that separate, they blew it category. Um, I don't really think they blew this game. I think that they got hammered by a much, much, much better football team for most of it. And then, you know, look, I, I think that that's, you know, the, the Panthers are playing for a Super Bowl and the Giants are desperate. And the Panthers probably took their, their foot off the gas a little bit. And understandably so. It, it, but at the same time, I, I think the Giants also deserve some credit for, for hanging in there. But no, I would say this is a game that the Giants deserve to lose, I think. And they probably deserve to lose the game relatively close. And, and that's what happened in the end. It just had two, it was just a big roller coaster to get there. It was 38 35 was the finish. And uh, roller coasters, I think, is a good way to describe it, Jordan. I mean, what, did you think they were going to. At what point during that comeback did you start saying, oh, wow, they, they really might come back here? Was it the, you know, the block field goal? Was it when the Panthers fumbled after the Eli pick? I mean, there were so many moments in that thing to get them back in that game. Yeah, I mean, there was a point, I think, before the Eli pick when they got the ball back there, and I was like, oh, my God, they're really in this game. And then he throws the pick, and then what, there's the block field goal. You're like, oh, wait, they're really back in this game again. And then there was the, uh, the fumble, and you're like, wow. They're going to tie this game right now. Now, I'm not saying you – I still – you know, you're still always reluctant to think that they're going to win in that spot. The Panthers pretty much could do mostly what they wanted on offense. Uh, Cam Newton was was, uh, as close as you can to become, uh, as you consider, unstoppable. So, whenever they needed it, you knew that they were going to go down the field. And the second they scored, we knew that they were going to go to – the Giants scored. It was, you know, little – like it was slightly less than two minutes left, something like that. I don't know. Way there was there was over a minute left to play, which was plenty of time for the Panthers. It was, and they you know they're fortunate just to get a field goal range too. I mean, they didn't have to score a touchdown. Right, and they did that. They got in range. Cano hits the field goal, and they go to fourteen and zero. Now, I mean, we obviously talk about the Giants here, and this is a Giants podcast, and we'll get into the the remaining scenarios in the NFC East and this game against the Vikings in a minute. But you guys did get to watch a, a team that is two games away from history here, and. There's been a lot of talk about the Panthers this year. I've heard people say they're the least impressive undefeated team ever. You know, they're not that great. They're going to lose in the playoffs here. What did you think of them up close, James? I mean, they're undefeated. Newton is obviously a specimen who's coming into his own this year, the best he's ever played. But at the same time, I mean, in moments there, they did look pretty vulnerable against a flawed Giants team. Uh, Your thoughts on the Panthers as they go for perfection here? Um, You know, look, Cam is... Uh, he's the MVP of the league, hands down. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind after Sunday. I, I do think they're vulnerable at spots. I mean, different if they have Jonathan Stewart healthy and back. Um, you know, Greg, Greg Olson's having a great year, but, you know, and Ted Ginn has, has got, had made some really good big-time plays this year, but they're a little limited in terms of their offensive weapons. Defense, I mean, I thought the linebackers were very impressive, the, fact, the way they cover. I mean, Keekley, you know, got flagged for pass interference going downfield, but he was pretty much step for step with Beckham in, in the first quarter. Um, you know, obviously, I think Norman's a good player. I think they have a good secondary. So, you know, if I had to make a, a pick right now, I, I think that they have a very good chance of winning the NFC. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's them and the Cardinals in all likelihood. But uh, I wouldn't go out and say, that, you know, they're going to go 19-0. and They're going to win the Super Bowl just because I, because I, I do think there is some – some weak spots there that, that could be exploited at some point. You feel the same way, Jordan, or do you think we're watching a, a team that's, you know, I mean, they're obviously two games away from undefeated season, and then we'll go to the postseason. Is this a, 
Are we watching an all-time great team here, or are they just having a great season thus far? Will they? Would they be a, a favorite? You think in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots? No, it'd be close. I don't know if they'd be a favorite, but they would. Maybe I think they'd be, be a couple. Maybe an favorite. underdog. Maybe nah, an underdog. Be an underdog. Yeah. I think they'd be an underdog. So I'm going to say no. I mean, this isn't a great dominant team. Uh, can you see the Green Bay Packers and and Aaron Rodgers going in there and beating them? I mean, I don't think that's completely unheard of. So. To me, at least, I can see Rodgers getting hot and beating them. I mean, the, the Seattle Seahawks beating them. I mean, Arizona, throw them in there too. I like Carolina, but you're talking about are they all time great, nineteen and zero? Do I see them just running through teams? I mean, there's a lot of teams that I could I could see them losing to, and I wouldn't be surprised. So, I'm gonna say no. I mean, I love the way Cam Newton's playing. He was on my fantasy team, by the way. Not that anybody cares, but I realized how good he was. I mean, every week you just he, he's just killing it right now. I mean, it's 300 yards, four, three, four, five touchdowns, and, you know, at least 50 yards rushing. So the, the, the guy is a beast. And you know what? I saw him when I saw him. This was the first time I ever saw him in person. And maybe I did last year. I don't know if he was in the Pro Bowl or not. But anyway, I didn't notice because you don't really watch the Pro Bowl. But, you know, I, you saw him warming up in person, and you're just amazed by how gigantic and immense this guy is. I mean, I'm telling you. I've never seen anything like it for a quarterback. I saw Donovan McNabb play. He was a pretty big guy, 250-something pounds. I've seen Dante Culpepper, another big guy. But they're not, they don't, they're not as big. They're not as big, tall, and just imposing as Cam Newton is. I mean, that guy's a beast. And it almost feels like he's indestructible. I mean, he took some big hits from the Giants. Ayers had a big game. JPP played probably his best game. Uh, there was the one where I think it was Cullen Jenkins hit him right up by the chest, and he looked like he was hurt. But, I mean, Cam's not a guy that just runs around and tries to slide. I mean, he takes a lot of hits, but it almost feels like you can't hurt that guy either, which is, you know, for most quarterbacks that run, you were they're going to get hurt. I never really think about that with Cam because he's so big, like you are saying. The benefit of being 260 pounds in a quarterback. Right, he's bigger than everybody or the same size as everybody. So, I mean, he's he's incredible, and that team, uh, obviously, is 13-0 is heading to the postseason, they'll be a big part of the postseason. Now, for the Giants, uh, as much as logic would say this thing is over, it's not quite yet. So they need to win their last two games. They need the Redskins to lose their last two, including Saturday night against the Philadelphia Eagles. So technically, the Giants could be eliminated by the time they take the field Sunday night in Minnesota. Or if the Eagles win, they'll take the field Sunday trying to get this thing to Week 17. Uh, James, in terms of the scenarios, in terms of what's left, in your mind, I mean, I know the math says they're not, but are the Giants dead here to you, or is there still a, a, a sliver of hope based on how this thing could play out? I, I mean, I, I think it's really I, – I think for the most part they're dead. I mean, I will say this. I think the Eagles are going to beat the Redskins on Saturday night. So in that sense, if the Giants can beat the Vikings, then they would have a shot. But I don't think the Giants are going to beat the Vikings on Sunday night. And moreover, e- even if they somehow beat the Vikings and the Eagles beat the Redskins, do the Giants really would they really feel good about playing the Eagles in Week 17 and needing Kellen Moore and the Dallas Cowboys to beat the Redskins? Probably not. I mean, no. that that would take all that, but I, I can't imagine they feel good yeah. about it. So they never beat they don't beat the Chip Kelly Eagles for you know one reason or another. And yeah, for that so, reason, dead. They're dead. I mean, look. Well, I think they'll still be alive when they take the field on Sunday night, but I don't think they'll be alive when they wake up Monday morning. Yeah, there's just too much. I mean, 
the Giants have to win two tough games, first of all. And even with Odell Beckham, they're, they're significant underdogs in Minnesota. Without Odell Beckham, I mean, they're gigantic underdogs on, on Sunday night in Minnesota. And that's not even saying that we didn't even, that's without even touching on all the scenario, other scenarios they need. So to you me, know, to me, dead. I mean, their chances of making the playoffs, in my mind, they're probably somewhere in the less than 10% range. Yeah. Plus, this is a Vikings team that I, I believe can still win the NFC North. So, you know, it's going to be at home on a Sunday night. They're going to the playoffs for the first time in a, in a while. Um, really good defense. It's getting healthy at the right time. The Giants are probably not going to have Beckham. You know, it, it just, if the Giants win on, on Sunday night, uh, it'll be an accomplishment. It would. You're right. And, and on the Vikings scenarios there, James, I, I think if, they, uh, if Atlanta loses to Carolina or Seattle beats the Rams, they're in, but they could still go for the division. So it's not like, you know, sometimes you get these games late in the season and a team knows they're in or they mm-hmm. won something already and maybe they don't show up as much on Sunday night. I mean, the Vikings will probably have clinched a playoff right before that game starts, but it doesn't mean they're not going to come out trying to win the game. I think you want that home field, though. You want that home game. Oh, I yeah. Think that, that's, right. me- that's meaningful to guys. You don't throw it in in week 16. You don't throw in the towel and rest your guys in week 16 already uh, with with the chance to win a home game. And even if you can't get the home game, I mean, I don't know what the scenario is, but if they could somehow get to the five seed and play the NFC East champion on the road, I, I think they'd take their shots. Yeah, everyone in the NFC should really fight for the right to play the NFC East team because you don't want to play the Seattle Seahawks. You don't. I mean, that's right, because you did the Seahawks were well, going to Washington, uh, the Eagles or the Giants. And talk about being favorites, Jordan, and being underdogs uh, in a weird spot. I mean, the Panthers could be undefeated and maybe underdogs, like you said, to New England in the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm just trying to guess the line now. Whoever the NFC East champion is with Seattle, the way they're playing and the way Russell Wilson's playing, they might be a touchdown favorite on the road or more. I mean, uh, in that first round playoff game. Oh, they'd be huge favorites against the Washington Redskins. There's no doubt in my mind. Probably right. You're probably right. Probably like a touchdown. Although, yeah. if I remember right, did they play this year? Did they play a tight game this year? Redskins uh, and the Vikings. No, no, no. That might have been thinking... last year, a Monday yeah, night yeah, yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah. yeah, it all runs together at some point or another. All right, so the... thinking, you know what? The Redskins played the Patriots. That's the game I was thinking at home. Right? It kind of kept it low scoring for a little bit. It was, wasn't as bad as everyone thought it was going to be. Right. So the Giants here head into Minnesota for a Week 16 game, probably without Odell Beckham as far as when we're recording this podcast. He has been suspended for a game. Last one for you guys. We'll wrap this up and, uh, and wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday this week. I mean, the Giants now have had six losses by, you know, when they're up or tied with two minutes to go. Seven of their eight losses have been by a total of 21 points. When we look back on this thing, each, I want your, each of your answer might be the same, might be different. Which one's the one that's going to sting the most when this thing is over? And assuming they're not going to make it and, and this thing's going to end in two weeks. Which of the, all these close losses, virtually everyone except the Eagle game in October, is going to come back and sting the most? Jordan? You know, we were talking about this when we were walking out of the stadium the other day. I was talking about this with a couple people. And we were putting them in categories. And, like, just the silliest, most ridiculous loss was that Cowboys one. That was the, the, the most ridiculous one. To me, maybe the one that hurt the most was the Patriots because that was a game that they could have won and that they, they probably should have won and they didn't win. 
Yeah, that I mean, they're all. There's no really bad answer. The Jets one to me was bad because that reignited the Coughlin thing and, and decisions in the fourth quarter, and uh, they and that was an opponent that was pretty even where you think they should have won the game, and they were up so much in the fourth quarter. They're all bad, but uh, Patriots a good one. I'd probably go Jets. How about you? I put Jets in. I put Jets in the dumbest one category yeah. because the, the idea not to kick that field goal was just so silly to me. It's a good category name, James. How about for you? Which one was? Which one's going to sting the most when we look back on this season? I think when it's all said and done, the one that's really going to sting the most, hurt the most, is when they lost to the Redskins in Washington. Um, because that was one of the games where if you looked at all the scenarios, like if they had won that game, they basically would have, I mean, they basically would have won the NFC East that day or, or basically put themselves in an the unbelievable shot. I think, you know, the, the various playoff simulators would have had their chances in like 80% if they had won that game. So if they win that game, they'd be 7-7 seven and seven right now. They'd have a, a game lead on both the Eagles and the Redskins with two to go. They get to eat, you know, the Eagles could eliminate the Redskins on Saturday night for them, and then the Giants could take care of business at home, even with a loss this week. So, you know, ironically, that's, that's not even one that they blew, James. <laughs> I know it's not even one they blew, but I just feel like they, they came out so flat. And, uh, you know, I agree with you. In terms of the ones they blew, I think the, the Cowboys in week one will hurt the most as well as the Patriots because, you know, I, I think with the Patriots, they, there's a certain sense of pride in the fact that they always find a way to beat them. But There I was just think, an opportunity there to yeah. do something special, you know, to really have that that win that this team has been trying to get for that, against a quality team for so long. But in terms of all the losses, I think that loss to Washington is the one that really kind of sent this season going in the wrong direction. Yeah, it did. That was a tough one. There, there have been a lot of tough. Probably, ones but tonight. I'm not sure. I'm not sure fans are going to take that one the hardest. You know, the other ones are heartbreaking. That one. No, I understand. That no, one, they right. just got their butt kicked. You know, I mean, they, yeah. they just got. They just came out. They turned the ball over, and they really had no chance. It wasn't as quite as heartbreaking as some of these other ones. Yeah, that one was probably more frustrating, probably for fans, than heartbreaking like these other ones. I mean, they're all in their. They all have their own separate, uh, you know, category or own separate. A word you can associate with them, but they add up to a six and eight record. The Giants in Minnesota Sunday night. We'll be back next week to talk about that one and to see if there is a Week 17, a meaningful Week 17 game uh, to preview. Then, guys, uh, both have uh, a happy holidays, so whether it came or went, or Christmas is coming up for either of you. Uh, and have a good time, and uh, we'll catch up next week. All right. You too, Joe. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Same to you as well. Thank you. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, James. And thanks to all of you for listening to episode 36 of Talk is Cheap. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll be back next week after the Giants and the Vikings uh, do battle on Sunday night football right here on NJ.com.